What's up, church? We are so excited that you are joining us online to worship today. A few things that we would love for you to do. Number one uh, is to check in with us. If you have the North Point app, there's a Let's Connect button. You can fill out a form just to let us know that you're worshiping online. It would be incredibly helpful. If you don't have the North Point app, you can simply text the words guest in CC to 94090. We'll text that same form back to you. It won't take long. It's incredibly helpful for us. Uh, you can also uh, worship through your giving at this time as well. You can give on the North Point app or online or simply texting NCC Give to 77977. Uh, we'll text the link to you to do a one-time or recurring gift. So uh, we encourage you right now, man, give worshipfully, give sacrificially as God lays on your heart. Uh, another thing we want to talk about uh, is we are doing our Christmas Eve service virtually this year. We want everybody to be safe and get to worship together on Christmas Eve with their family. And so uh, we're going to give you everything you need to worship for Christmas Eve, uh, but it's all going to be online this year. Now, leading up to that Christmas Eve service on the Sunday through Wednesday beforehand, we are going to have a drive-in light display right here on North Point's property. It's going to be a blast, a great way to bring some seasonal cheer. It's an incredible thing to invite some friends to, uh, to have a safe Christmas environment as well. So we encourage you guys to put that on your calendar now. Check that out. Get ready to invite some friends. They're going to get an invitation to our Christmas Eve service as well. It's going to be an incredible thing. Uh, right now, feel free to settle in as Rick is going to continue on with our Woke series. Good morning. How is everyone doing today? Good. Hey, um, you know, there's all kinds of stuff going on in the world. And I just want to say, if you came this morning discouraged, feeling heavy, you're in the right place. Because there's hope found in Jesus. Amen? Amen. Hey, um, we are, we've been in this series where we've been talking about um, recognizing, uh, discovering Jesus working in our lives. And, uh, and let me just kind of set the stage one last time as we bring that series to a close today. Our mission as a church at North Point is to help all people move towards a life fully devoted to Jesus. Helping all people move toward a life fully devoted to Jesus. That's, that's what we're about as a church. Um, that's everybody. You know, people, people who look like us, people who don't look like us. People at a different uh, socioeconomic level. People who are struggling. People who are doing great. Helping all people move towards a life fully devoted to Jesus. That fully devoted to Jesus, that's, that's being a disciple of Jesus. What's that mean? That means that you follow Jesus. That you're transformed by Jesus. And that you're pursuing the mission of Jesus. That's who we're about as a church. Every, uh, every several years, we go through a process where we try and say, okay, what's that look like for us right now in this context at this particular time? Uh, about a year ago, the leaders of the church met together. And, and um, we really landed on this vision that, that will take us through the next several years. And um, as a result of that, here's, here's where we landed we will not be, we cannot be a church of people who gather on Sunday simply to learn about Jesus and the Bible. We've got to be a movement of people whose lives are being transformed every day by Jesus in such a way that we recognize it and that sharing it is as natural as breathing. It just happens 
normally. Transformation that uh, is so evident that conversations pop up like popcorn or like the buds on a, on a tree in the springtime. And that they occur just spontaneously with, uh, with the people that we're doing life with, with our families, with our friends, with the people that we work with. We live in a place that is full of uh, people who have become accustomed to living life in a fog. They're living their lives, but it's like finding meaning and finding how to get through all of the stuff. It's just living in a fog. They have this desire for the fog to evaporate, for the sun to break through. And the way that that happens is that the transforming power of Jesus in us directs them to him. That's when the fog begins to lift. We interact every day with people who are, who are living those fog-bound lives. We, um, you know, we see them at the grocery. We see them when we exercise. We see them when we're out walking around. Uh, we see them oftentimes in our own family gatherings. We want to be a church where people say that's the church where every person is talking about how Jesus has transformed their lives every day. That's, that's what we're about. So, so what's our vision? It's everybody who calls North Point home, regularly talking about how Jesus is working in their lives in their sphere of influence. Everybody who calls North Point home, regularly talking about how Jesus is working in their lives in their sphere of influence. Um, that can be reduced. You know, it's, it's easy to shrink that down to say, um, you know, own, own being a part of North Point. See Jesus working in your life. Share what Jesus is doing in your life. Own, see, share, own, see, share. Why is that important? Why do we keep talking about that? Because it helps clarify what the goal is for us. We want to help all people move towards a life fully devoted to Jesus. How do we do that? By landing in a place that we say, this is where I'm going to grow. By recognizing that Jesus is doing a work in us. And by, and by just talking about it naturally, not trying to create conversations, just talking about naturally like we would talk about anything else. Um, that's important right now because we, we recognize that, that um, either watching online or here in person, there are people that come from a lot of different places, maybe that, that weren't a part of North Point before COVID. It helps to know where you are and who we are and what we stand for to know whether or not this is a place that, that you want to dig your feet in and God use you here. Um, this series, Hashtag Woke, has been all about discovering how Jesus is working in our lives. That's our, our goal, has, has been to help people recognize that God is doing stuff in us, sometimes that we've become oblivious to, that we aren't even aware of the things that he's done, that, um, that Jesus is working in our, in our lives, even, even when it seems like God is silent. Um, even when it seems like we're just going through normal everyday life, that Jesus is with us and he's doing work when we celebrate things and when we go through storms and difficult times. Um, Jesus is with us in, in, um, in the mundane, in, you know, in the, in, in the weird stuff, in the random things. Um, Jesus is with us when we're in the midst of an angry mob. And last week, that Jesus is with us. He's working in our lives even when we confront death. Um, today we conclude our series, not because we have it all figured out and because we recognize what Jesus is doing in, our, in every aspect of our life, but because hopefully we've laid a foundation to help change the way that we think and to begin to look for Jesus, look for the way that he is changing us. 
so that our perspective can be altered forever, uh, so that we'll never see life the same way again. Um, have you ever had one of those moments where you were just filled with awe, uh, that wherever you were, whatever you were doing, it was like you just went, wow, I I incredible. I remember as a freshman in college, uh, I went with my family and uh, went out to Colorado, and I remember for the first time seeing the Rocky Mountains and standing on the top of a mountain and looking out over the valley um, and and. And in that place, at that top of the mountain, not just seeing the valley below, but seeing around the horizon all of these peaks, the, you know, the peaks were 10,000, 12,000, 14,000 feet, and just being dumbfounded. I, I remember standing at the top of the mountain and just not saying anything. It was powerful. In 2009, Deb and I had a chance to go with my aunt and uncle to Brazil on a trip. We went to a place called Iguazu Falls, it's uh, the second largest falls in the world next to Victoria. Uh, and when we got there, when we saw the falls for the first time, it was the exact same kind of experience. At Iguazu, there are, there are uh, over 300 different waterfalls in one place. It's eight times the size of Niagara. And when we walked down and saw the first glimpse of the waterfalls, we just stopped. It, it really was a very um, uh, overwhelming kind of experience, uh, almost spiritual, almost to the point that all we could do was just lift our hands in the presence of the falls. Um, thank you, thank you. Someone responded to that. Um, the uh, <laughs> Have you ever had one of those moments that you were, you can take that slide down now, all right? Uh, the, um, the, the, that moment where you are just so overwhelmed by either the magnitude of God and his creation or, or even the infinite detail that's there. In, in both cases, when I was on top of the mountain and when I was at Iguazu and a number of other times, I have heard the words of Paul in my mind just say over and over again, uh, Romans chapter 1, for since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power, his divine nature have been clearly seen, un being understood from what has been made so that people are without excuse. When we look at creation, when we look at the power of creation, we see the power of God, his design, his beauty, his, uh, his love for us. As we come to the conclusion of our Woke series, where our focus has been on, on recognizing Jesus working in our lives in big ways, in small ways, in the nooks and crannies of our lives, my hope today is that you will be woke to the wow of who Jesus is that you'll be woke to the wow of what Jesus has done in your life and what he has done for you and what it costs you to have a relationship with him. This may ultimately end up sounding like an Easter message more than a Thanksgiving message. And if so, that really is okay today. Um, sometimes we get so used to hearing about the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus in the springtime that we just, it just kind of becomes white noise to us. It becomes as common as chocolate bunnies and, um, and jelly beans and fresh-cut flowers. 
I hope today that there's a freshness in this time when we begin to look at, the, at what Jesus experienced in his crucifixion and his resurrection. Um, there were people in the life of Jesus that were there that day at his crucifixion that we don't know much about. The Bible doesn't tell us much of anything about them. He doesn't give us their names. We never hear about them after, after the, the date of Jesus' crucifixion. But these characters, these people that we're going to look through their eyes this morning at, they were woke to the wow. They had a front row to the most significant day in history. And they realized it. For three and a half years, Jesus had taught in, in uh, Judea and Galilee. He had interacted with people. He had uh, cast out demons. He had healed people. He had taught. He had fed thousands of people supernaturally. He had taught with authority about how to have a relationship with God. Um, and that it wasn't about the law, but it was about knowing God and God knowing us. The religious leaders at that point in time didn't like Jesus' teaching because it took away their power. Their power came from establishing how you could obey the law in order to have a relationship with God. And Jesus bypassed them. So those religious leaders got more and more frustrated with Jesus until they created a riot and demanded Jesus' death. It's, on, in, it's in that setting, on that day, that we meet those unnamed characters I mentioned the Roman guards to whom the protection and the execution of Jesus was entrusted. I, I want to spend the, the rest of the message today just thinking through the events of that day, not from the perspective of just what happened to Jesus, but through the eyes of the guards. I want you to use your imagination and think through what they experienced and what they saw. Here's what their day looked like. My guess is that they were called in early that morning. Um, to come to work because the word had gone out through the city of Jerusalem that Jesus had been arrested, that he was being held at the high priest, the Jewish high priest house, and that he had been put on trial. He's taken to Pilate, and the guards probably, uh, they may have escorted him from, from Caiaphas' house to Pilate. They may have met him there, the, the guards that ultimately were uh, entrusted with Jesus' care during that day. Um, but the crowd began to grow and the mob began to, to build the, the tension that, that was there in the air. Pilate said, you know what, I don't find any fault with Jesus. I, I, he's, he's Galilean, I'm going to send him to Herod, to, to a Jewish leader. He sends him to Herod, and, and Herod says, uh, I can't do anything with him, and he sends him back to Pilate. The guards would have accompanied Jesus that entire path. They would have walked with him. They would have protected him. They would have sensed everything that was going on, knowing where this was leading. Um, the, uh, so as they come back to Pilate, the guards would have heard Pilate say, I don't find him guilty of anything. The guards would have heard Pilate wrestle with what to do with Jesus. They would have seen Pilate ultimately say, Jesus is innocent and wash his hands to be done with the situation. They would have had the front row. They would have been protecting Jesus as the crowd went crazy and said, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. And they would have heard Pilate say, then let him be crucified. The guards weren't Roman, they were Jewish. They probably didn't care much about whether Jesus was innocent or guilty. 
they were probably more concerned about their safety in the midst of the mob, people going crazy. They were probably more concerned about how it was going to influence their day's work that day. Scripture describes it this way in, in Mark chapter 15. The soldiers led Jesus away into the palace, that is the praetorium, and called together the whole company of soldiers. They put a purple robe on Jesus, twisted together a crown of thorns, and set it on him, jammed it on his head. They began to call out to him, Hail, King of the Jews. Again and again they struck him on the head with a staff and spit on him. Falling on their knees, they paid homage to him. When they had mocked him, they took off the purple robe and put his own clothes on him. Then they led him out to crucify him. All of that happened before 9 a.m. that day. Jesus beating his, the, 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 the purple robe and making fun of him, blindfolding him, and him, all of that happened before 9 in the morning. When they took that purple robe off of Jesus, beaten back from the cat of nine tails, the guards would have been the ones who forced Jesus to take the cross piece to the cross and carry it through the city up the hill to Golgotha. Along the way, Jesus, in his fatigue, couldn't do it. The guards maybe simply got tired of how long it was taking Jesus to walk, and they pull a guy out of the crowd, a man named Simon, to carry that cross piece. Again, uh, somewhere between 70 and 100 pounds to get to the place that he would be crucified. Why did the guards pull Simon out of the crowd? Um, I, don't, I don't think it's that at that moment they had this sense of compassion for Jesus. I think that they were probably thinking, come on, we can't take all day long to get, to, to get out to where he's going to be crucified. There's too much to do today. And so they were tired of Jesus not being able to do uh, not being able to carry that piece. So they pull Simon out, and he carries the cross. Um, when they get to Golgotha, these guards offer a mixture to Jesus to drink of wine and myrrh. That combination of wine and myrrh would serve as a narcotic. It would deaden the pain of the person who drunk it. It would deaden their senses. Why did the guards do that? I think it was selfish for the guards. They didn't want to be... Um, to, to be exposed to those shrieks of pain, all of, that, all, all of the things that that person would experience as they were crucified, and that if their, if their senses were deadened, it would, be lessened of an, uh, it would be less of an impact to them. I, I don't know about you, but when you're going into surgery, when, when you're struggling with stuff, most of us say, give me the pill, Right? Knock me out. I don't want to mess with all that. But it's interesting that Jesus refused the wine mixed with myrrh. Why did he do that? Why did Jesus not drink that concoction? Because if there was too much myrrh in it, it would have poisoned Jesus and potentially killed him. And Jesus knew that to be the sacrifice for our sin, he couldn't be poisoned. He had to bleed and die. Because the forgiveness of sin can only come with the shedding of blood. So Jesus refused it. And the guards, that had to confuse them. After that happened, they stripped Jesus. They took all of his clothes. They nailed him to the cross, his hands and his feet. 
They nailed the nameplate onto the cross that said, this is Jesus of Nazareth, King of the Jews. It appears from the scripture that there were four guards assigned to Jesus because each got a piece of clothing and then they rolled dice, they, they cast lots, they gambled to see who would get his undergarment that was valuable. John 19 says this, when the soldiers crucified Jesus, they took his clothes, dividing them into four shares, one for each of them, with the undergarment remaining. This garment was seamless, woven in one place, in one piece from top to bottom. Let's not tear it, they said to one another. Let's decide by lot. Let's gamble to see who's going to get it. It was a valuable piece of clothing. And they raised Jesus into place on the cross. They probably used some system of pulleys to, to put that in place. They may have used a, a, a beam that was fork-shaped to support that wood. It would have been an exhausting process for those guards. But it was a normal part of their job. As the cross fell into place, it would have jarred those nails in Jesus' hands and feet. The guards would have watched the pain, the agony that Jesus experienced. And then they would have heard him say, John, would you take care of my mother? Mom, let John take care of you. They would have heard the people from Jerusalem as they were walking by, looking at Jesus, making fun of him. They would have heard both thieves, the thieves on the left and the right of Jesus, mock him as well. Listen to what Mark chapter 15 says. Those who passed by hurled insults at him, shaking their heads and saying, so you who are going to destroy the temple and, and build it in three days, come down from the cross and save yourself. In the same way, the chief priests and the teachers of the law mocked him among themselves. He saved others, they said, but he can't save himself. Let this Messiah, this King of Israel, come down now from the cross that we can see and believe. Those crucified with him, the thieves, both of them, also heaped insults on him. Somewhere around noon, it began to get dark, and a darkness descended that covered the entire city of Jerusalem for three hours. In that time frame, the guards stationed around Jesus would have heard one of those thieves who had been mocking Jesus say to the other, you know what, Jesus is innocent. We deserve that we're being crucified, but Jesus didn't do anything. And they would have heard Jesus say to this thief, who had mocked him previously, you know what, today you're going to be with me in paradise. They would have heard, the guards would have heard Jesus in the darkness say, my God, my God, why have you left me alone here? The guards would have heard Jesus say in the darkness as he looked down on them doing their jobs, Father, Forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And finally, they would have heard Jesus say, it's finished, and would have seen him as he died. The powerful, muscular body of a carpenter had been, had been reduced to a lifeless shell of what had formerly been. And because the Jews didn't want three bodies on crosses outside of the city, 
as they celebrated the Passover Sabbath, the guards came by to break the legs of the people who were being crucified. They broke the legs of each of the thieves. They came to Jesus and they recognized that he was already dead. So those guards that would have accompanied Jesus, would have cast lots for his clothes, would have heard him forgive them, pierced Jesus' side with a sword. They would have seen the blood pour out, the water that was mixed with it from around the heart. Their day's work was done and they were ready to go home. Matthew 27 says, At that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The earth shook, the rocks split, and the tombs broke open. The bodies of many holy people who had died were raised to life. They came out of the tombs after Jesus' resurrection and went into the holy city and appeared to many people. When the centurion, the chief guard there, and those who were with him guarding Jesus, those who had been the, at the front row of everything that had happened, saw the earthquake and all that had happened, they were terrified and exclaimed, Surely he was the Son of God. After what appears was an eclipse, an earthquake, and hearing Jesus forgive one of the thieves, Jesus forgiving them, the guards woke to the wow of the moment and said, surely he was the son of God. A few weeks ago, Tim Shantir, our missionary to Papua New Guinea, was at Life Group, and he was talking about um, what he had experienced as they began to teach the Yembe Yembe tribe about Jesus, the God-man who had come to earth. They had spent literally years learning their language, learning their culture, and, um, and then teaching them through the Old Testament about um, the separation that had occurred when sin entered the world and, and what had happened, that, that God had created a, a system of laws to, to be able to create a framework so that we could have a relationship with him. And that that system in, in, involved sacrifice so that sins could be rolled back so that, so that their relationship with, with God could be right. As, as Tim described it, he's, he began to talk about Jesus coming into town to be crucified and ultimately being nailed to the cross. And that he said that while they were speaking, the, the, the Yembe, Yembe tribesmen, got up and talked in the middle of the sermon. He said, they're walking around and, and, and multiple of the men are saying, oh no, oh no, oh no, oh no. Because they realized, they realized that the sacrifice that had to be made for their sinfulness was being absorbed by Jesus on the cross. They were woke to the wow. They were woke to the wow of the injustice of Jesus' death. The reality that only through Jesus' death could our sin be forgiven. Only through Jesus' death could our relationship with God be made right. When, when you talk about the wow of Jesus' crucifixion, there are a lot of different responses that can happen. It can be a life-changing moment. Or it can be one of those things that we just experience and take a casual interest to. 
in um, Tim Rice and Andrew Lloyd Webber's um, musical, Jesus Christ Superstar. When, the, when they're going through the process, Tim, Tim Rice wrote really interesting lyrics to a, a song called Herod's Song. When Jesus is put on trial, on trial and, and he goes before Herod, and, um, and Herod wants to see him do a miracle. The, the lyrics that, that have stuck in my head since the first time I heard it in 1970 were this. Herod sings to Jesus, um, prove to me that you're divine, turn my water into wine. Prove to me that you're no fool, walk across my swimming pool. When we encounter Jesus, when we are wowed by Jesus, it's possible to say, oh, he's really cool. That's a, that's a, that's a character in history that's amazing. He could do incredible things and to be entertained by him. Or we can allow him to have complete control of our lives. Realize that we can be impressed by Jesus. We can be entertained by Jesus. But what Jesus came to do is to transform us. Um, the wow that we've got to experience is a wow that changes us from the inside out. Sometimes, sometimes we're more like Herod than we are like the guards. Sometimes we want Jesus simply so that he can rescue us from a crisis. Sometimes we want Jesus to do spectacular things just because we ask him to. Oh, I can pray and Jesus will do all these things for me. Sometimes we want Jesus in order to feel better about ourselves. That wasn't what the guards experienced. They saw firsthand divinity, the God-man crushed by humanity. And they recognized that they were the means of the crushing. They were woke to the wow. They said, surely this is the Son of God. As I mentioned before, Scripture doesn't tell us what happened to the guards after this point in time. We don't, we don't know. that. Could they have been the guards that were stationed at the tomb over the next several days before Jesus' resurrection? It's possible, but probably not. We just don't know. What really matters is not what happened to the guards when they were woke to the wow. What really matters is what happens to us. If you are woke to the wow, what you'll do now. As a result, some, some of us have been playing games with Jesus. We know of him, but we don't know him. Today, that can change. Some of us have never really considered that Jesus went to the cross, that Jesus died for my sin. Some of us have never, maybe until right now, said, Oh, no. Oh, no. Oh, no. And you're not sure what to do. Some of us have become oblivious to the magnitude of Jesus' death on the cross, oblivious to the magnitude of the resurrection. You've stood at the top of the mountain and seen the spectacular beauty that God had created and, say, and, and just said, hey, cool, I'll meet you at the bottom of the mountain. You've stood at the bottom of the falls and looked out at Iguazu and, and, and said, hey, that's great. Where's the gift shop? We've just gone through the process of being exposed to what Jesus has done for us and never let it come in and take hold of our lives. Here's the bottom line. If you want to be woke to the wow, 
You've got to do what the Bible describes in, ter in terms of having a relationship with Jesus. You've got to believe that Jesus is who he said he is. You've got to believe that Jesus came specifically for you to have a relationship with God. You've got to believe that, that he had that ability, that he did that for us. And, then, and that belief has got to it's got to impact every aspect of your life. It's got to change the way that you live. The Bible uses the word repentance. It means that you quit living for yourself and that you give Jesus complete control of your life. The Bible says that in order to have that right kind of relationship, we've got to confess Jesus as Lord. We've got to be willing to say, I am all in with Jesus in every situation. We've got to be willing to take a step to publicly say, I give control of my life to Jesus. The Bible talks about that in, in baptism, that, the, that an, our old person dies and a new person is raised to life. I, it's easy, it's easy to say, okay, everybody shut your eyes, bow your heads, and we're going to ask the question, do you want to, do you want to take that step? And to have people raise their hands, that's an easy thing to do. And, and we could do that. We're not going to do that right now because I want to challenge you to do something different. For your life to change, for you to be woke to the wow, you've got to take action. And if that's a step that you want to take, if that's a relationship that you want to, to bridge, to build, to cultivate, man, take out the North Point app, and there's a place there that says response card, and just write a note to us. We'll, we will get back with you and we'll talk through that. We'll, we'll help you do that in a way that will be life transforming and that will allow you to say yes to Jesus. I've been woke to the wow. Um, you know, it seems to me like there is no better lead into Thanksgiving than to be woke to the wow. Because when we understand what Jesus has done for us, his death on the cross, the only response that we can have is a heart of gratitude. That's what we're called to do. That's who we're called to be. May you be woke to the wow. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your word. God, we thank you for the guards for their unique perspective. God, we thank you for their um, experience in being the executioners and hearing Jesus plea for their forgiveness. God, we recognize our sinfulness and we come to you and plead the blood of Jesus to cover us
His body on the cross, His blood poured. 